0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online, it's good to have you with us as well. Today, right after church, one of the things that we do once a month uh, for people that say, hey man, I've been coming and y'all haven't scared me off too much, so I'm, I'm kind of looking to maybe take another step or, or learn a little bit more about this church. We have a thing called Intro to City Walk. Uh, we give a $1,000 to each person. Not really. Uh, with like packed house. No, uh, we have a thing called Intro to City Walk. It starts about 15 minutes after the service over in the fellowship hall. And it does, it lasts about 30, 40 minutes. And uh, the goal of Intro to City Walk is to allow you to hear a little bit more about our church history, a little bit of why we do what we do, get your questions answered, learn how to better get connected. And so if you haven't been to Intro to City Walk, this is a great day to jump in. Uh, Like I said, 15 minutes after the service, uh, we'll be over in the fellowship hall and uh, we'll, we'll dive into that. This summer... Uh, at church, and I am so proud of this gathering. Uh, and if you're new to this gathering, this summer has been uh, an exciting summer for us. Uh, if you remember, at the beginning of the summer, we did a thing called a summer kickoff party where Kona Ice was outside, and we everybody got a blue summer T-shirt. And then over this last few months, you guys have just hit a home run, loving our community. I don't know if you know this, uh, but over this past a couple months, you have helped put on three pop-up parties. You're like, what's a pop-up party? It's where our church shows up in a neighborhood with Kona Ice and says, hey, Kona Ice is on us for an hour. We're just here to love you and try to make your day better, and we get a chance to connect with a lot of people. You guys you guys helped do three of those. Uh, you guys helped do two breakfasts, and uh, Charisse has already talked about that, where we were uh, able to, man, just surprise teachers by just providing them breakfast with no strings attached and just say, hey, man, we are for you. We're so thankful for you and uh, hope this is an encouragement to you. Uh, you guys, uh, and these are like the all-stars of the summer, I'm telling you. If you signed up to Man Our Booth or Woman Our Booth at the Peach Festival, yeah, we, I mean, it was that was the 109-degree days and you guys did it. I mean, we had a bunch of you came and said, "I will stand in the heat for two hours and give out lollipops and give kids high fives and invite people to church and pray for people and have spiritual conversations." And you guys did that. and then you also helped put on two full weeks of sports camp with close to two hundred kids. Uh, over a hundred of you volunteered. It was a special summer. And our summer culminates on August 27th, when we get a chance to have our very first interest party for our new church in Edgewater uh, on August 27th. And so I just wanted to say thank you. And if again, if you're new to this gathering, you are surrounded by people that love this community and don't just say that, they actually do something about it. And I'm just so proud of you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for standing out in the heat and just telling people that, hey, we're for you. God loves you. And you did that all summer long. And so thank you guys. I just wanted, I felt like we we needed to celebrate just for a second what what has happened this summer. Uh, This past Thursday was our last pop-up party for the summer. And after I went home, I was just telling, uh, I think Glenn outside, Friday's my day off. So Thursday night is the night I have to be really careful with my attitude because I'm like super tired, end of the week. You probably have those times in your week. And so that's my time. Like Thursday night, I got to be careful. So So I I got home after the pop-up party, and I felt this urge, and if you grew up when I did, I felt this urge to watch Karate Kid. I I, I mean, I'm 46 years old, and, and Karate Kid is, man, one of those shows that I wore the VCR out watching when I was a kid, and for some of you, you're like, what did you wear out? I don't even know what that is. The rest of us know. But, but I did. I remember just wearing the VCR out and man, watching Karate Kid 1. And then I remember going to the theater just to watch Karate Kid 2. And, and I just loved that. And I grew up in a home with three boys. And so to my mom's dismay, we like to act out scenes from Karate Kid after we watched the movie for the fifth time that day. And so we would do that, and it was just one of those movies that I just kind of grew up loving. And if you're new to Karate Kid and you've never seen it, do yourself a favor and go watch it. But basically, the plot of the story is there's this guy named Daniel, and Daniel's just kind of an ordinary kind of underdog, nothing special about Daniel, and he and his, sing, his mom's a single mom. They, they move, and, and he's trying to get acclimated to a new area. And he runs into the ultimate TV bad guy, Johnny and the Cobra Kai karate people. Like, if you, if you grew up watching this, like, Johnny was the ultimate bad guy of all time. And he was just a mean guy. You just hate him. Even if you watch him now, you're like, he's probably the nicest guy ever, but he just he did such a good job playing a bad guy. And he runs into Johnny and the Cobra Kai, and basically for the first half of Karate Kid 1, he is Johnny LaRusso's punching bag, and he gets humiliated until he meets up with this guy called Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi is the guy that you've seen on the the TV. If you haven't watched it, you you recognize him. And he teaches Daniel karate in in a totally different way than than what the dojo that that Johnny was learning it from, and and the movie culminates at the All Valley tournament with the greatest scene in the history of movies, and I think we have a picture. <laughs> I, at least the greatest scene in the like movies I grew up with. Like, is there a better scene in all of movies than what is? A, I mean, uh, this is a great scene, and, and at the end of this this little scene here. Daniel wins the All-Valley Tournament, and he's carried off the, the floor. He has a trophy, and man, it, it, it ends with him being the hero. And, and whether it's Daniel, whether it's Rocky, or another TV chara- character, this, this type of story, the, the, the karate kid, the Rocky, that type of story, that plot, resonates with us it inspires us. And, and here's why. Because we, we all relate with the ordinary person. We, we all kind of relate with the underdog, the, the Rocky, the, the Daniel, the, the person that's kind of under the, the radar that's not super special. that's just a normal guy that's facing some, some big problems. We, we relate to him. And it's why in our our kind of this series that we're doing, the God of Miracles, today the person we're going to talk about, man, we are we all really relate to. His name's Gideon. And Gideon is a guy that that we're gonna kind of lean into his story today. And, And the reason that that he's so like applicable to us and somebody that we relate to is because we, we quickly find out in the story that Gideon's just a normal, scared, underdog, timid. That's just who he is. And frankly, he doesn't want to change that. He's not trying to be better. He's not trying to be brave. He, we find him in this story, just kind of this timid guy that's kind of afraid, that's intimidated, that's just ordinary. You would never pick him out of a crowd. as like the hero. That's who Gideon is. But yet God uses Gideon to do something extraordinary. And we see miracle after miracle in this story. And in order to kind of understand Gideon and his circumstances, you have to remember what's going on and what has gone on in Israel. So if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've talked a little bit about this, but, but uh, kind of Israel's history is that for about 400 years, they were slaves to the Egyptians. And at the end of that 400 years, God brought leaders like Moses and then Joshua that helped this nation who had been enslaved for several hundred years to to help them gain freedom. God gave them a land that was their own. we, We just call it the promised land. And God used these leaders to prepare this nation and to lead this nation to what God had for them. But what God said to them in the midst of all this taking place in the midst of him giving them this land and, and really just all he said to them was here, I'm going to give you this land. I have a really good plan for you. I, I'm, I'm for you, but but here's what I need. He said, I need you to not worship other gods here's this land. I'm going to lead you to it. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. And here's what I'm telling you. The best thing for you is that you never worship other gods, that you never worship idols. That is what is best. And if you choose to worship idols, if you choose to not follow my best plan for you, it's going to lead to some really, really tough times. And that's what, exactly what happened. Israel, this nation that God had led to a promised land, that God was taken care of, that God had good for, they didn't believe God. And they began this cycle. And you can read about this cycle all throughout the Old Testament. It's, the exact, it's like Groundhog Day all over again, if you've ever seen that movie. It's what happened to Israel. Well, the exact same thing happened over and over and over again. Here's what would happen. The cycle was this. God said obey. They would obey for a little while, then they would disobey. Then they would begin to worship idols. God would then bring judgment. Then they would cry out to him. Then he would deliver them. Okay, they probably learned their lesson, right? Nope. After he delivered them, it wouldn't take long before they again began to worship idols. Then God would bring judgment something to punish them or pull them back they would cry out to god and he would deliver them and this literally this cycle happened over and over and over and it's in that cycle in the midst of it that we are introduced to this pretty ordinary insecure guy named Gideon and he had a lot of he should have been insecure Because at this time, when Gideon comes on the scene, they're in the midst, the the nation of Israel is in the midst of one of those seasons where they have disobeyed God and God is judging them. And so here's what was happening. I mean, just imagine this. These people were farmers and what they would do, they would farm, they would work hard all year. And then when the harvest came, the Midianites would come and would literally wipe out their harvest and take everything they worked for. And this j- didn't just happen one time, this happened seven years in a row. So they're in the midst of this season where. They have literally disobeyed God. God's brought judgment on them. Their their food is just gone. They have no hope. They're afraid of the Midianites. Every time they produce anything that's helpful, the Midianites come and take it from them. And that's where we find this guy named Gideon. With the food supply devastated, the people afraid, the people are literally hiding in dens and in caves. And what's happening is the people of Israel are watching Galatians 6-7 play out. And here's what Galatians 6-7 says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God made clear to Israel that if they worshiped other gods, it would lead to pain to destruction, and they weren't going to be the exception to the rule. And that's where they found themselves. In fact, Judges 6.6 6 says it this way, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So they are in a, in a spot, and, and maybe you've been in a, just a desperate spot in your life. They were in one of these places where they are so desperate. They don't know how to get out of this. They're afraid. They're literally hiding. They don't have what they need to live. They are so desperate. And they cry out to God. And God, he's he's not obligated to help them. But because he's a merciful God, God steps in and he uses Gideon. He could have done it by himself. He could have taken care of the Midianites. He could have brought all their food back. He could have done all that himself, but he decides to go find this guy who is literally hiding, afraid, insecure, the last guy you would pick for the kickball team on the playground. And he uses this guy in a miraculous way to just literally change the history of this nation. And and in the midst of the the story of Gideon, there's at least three lessons that we learn, that we see from Gideon's story that I think are helpful to us. And here's the first one. God's call qualifies the called. When God calls you, you're qualified. God's call, it qualifies the called. Look at at the story, Judges chapter 6, verse 11, and we pick up in the midst of this tough time, and we, we begin to see this guy named Gideon. It says this the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Beesrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. To, so to us, this means nothing, because none of us have ever, well, I guess, I'm guessing, none of us have ever like threshed wheat. Like, we don't even know what that looks like, what to do. Like we don't, This seems like, okay, that sounds great. Well, here's the thing. When you thresh wheat, you don't do it in a wine press. You're actually supposed to do it out in the open, maybe even on a hill. But because he is so scared... He's literally in a wine press. That means he, he doesn't have a lot of wheat, obviously, because he's in this small wine press. He's hiding from the Midianites trying to thresh this wheat. So he's, he's terrified. And, and while he's there kind of on his own doing this work, trying to keep away from the bad guys, it says this. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Either this guy Struggled with sarcasm, or he was looking into the future at what he saw in Gideon. Because at this point, Gideon is anything but a mighty warrior. And he says, Hey, you're, you're a mighty warrior. And you would think Gideon would be like, Oh, well, thank you. High five for you. Let, let's chat. No small talk from Gideon. No, like, Hey, how's it to meet you? He, Gideon goes right at him. Here's what Gideon says Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out, up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So, so Gideon, instead of, hey, nice to meet you. Can I get you something to drink? I mean, he's like, dude, don't tell me the Lord's with us. Look at me. If the Lord was with us, I hear about this rescuing from Egypt. We hear from our ancestors about how all God did all these miracles, and now we're hiding from the Midianites. What do you mean the Lord's with us? And, and so Gideon, he's kind of whining. And instead of the messenger saying, oh, you're right, buddy. Sit down. Here's a, here's a Twinkie. Calm down. He, does, he almost just ignores what he just said. Look what the messenger says. The Lord turned to him and said, go, in the strength you have, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Basically, the the messenger saying, man, it is a done deal. Man, it's taken care of, man. Go take care of the Midianites. I'm going to use you. God sent me to tell you this. And Gideon, instead of him strapping on his sword and saying, oh, okay, well, let's go, he says in verse 15. He's super polite pardon me my lord Gideon replied but how can I save Israel my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family basically what what Gideon says is he says my family is is the the biggest wimps of the whole tribe and I'm the runt of the family so what do you mean? What, what do you mean that you're going to use me, that I'm this mighty warrior? D- don't you know that Midian has 132,000 troops? What are you talking about? I thought it wasn't good to smoke cr- I mean, like crack. Are y'all doing that in heaven now? I mean, you t- you, you telling me this? Like, what is going on? You, you must have this way wrong. I don't think he said that, but he was probably thinking, man, what is going on? And basically, just more whining, more excuses. My family's weak, and I'm the the family. Leave me alone. But then the messenger said, The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Does all we all know what all means, right? All means. All. Yeah, it's like simple. We're, we're getting back into school, school year. All means all. 132,000. That's a lot of alls. That's, that's a lot of people. That's a, I mean, to say, hey, not only are you going to defeat them, but there ain't going to be one of them alive. And Gideon's hiding in the wine press hearing this. And, and, and Gideon, he's making excuses, and rightfully so. He, he's right. He was weak he was scared. He was unequipped. He was unprepared. And and he in no way had the ability to lead Israel on his own to defeat their enemies. See, he had not grasped this statement, this next statement. The power to do the task comes with the call to do the task. See, Gideon, he hadn't grasped this yet. All he could see was, I'm the biggest wimp in the whole place, and there's 132,000 really bad, angry people that want us to die. There's no way. And from a human perspective, you're right, Gideon. There is absolutely no way that you can humanly take care of this problem. You'll get destroyed before you even take a breath. But what Gideon had not grasped yet was the power to do the task. It comes with the call. God doesn't call someone to do something that he doesn't give them the power to do. And sometimes, like, if we're honest, we're kind of like Gideon. We're so intimidated by the call that we forget about who called. And so Gideon, man, and God was patient with him. Gideon's like, kind of a half yes. You got to show me a couple signs, God. Like, I, I could probably, maybe, I don't know, but you, you got to show me a few signs because what you're telling me is crazy. And God didn't have to show him a sign. God could have just been like, get out there and do what I told you to do. Or, hey, if you don't want to do it, I'll get somebody else. But God was super gracious. And not only did he show Gideon one sign, but he showed him, he just patiently showed God more signs. Verse 17 said, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Like, did I just eat some bad pizza? is this a dream? Like, uh, what's this all about? Is this, am I on candid camera? What is going on? I need a sign, God. I need you to show me. I need to know for sure that this is really your voice. And so God gave him, like I said, he gave him not just one, he gave him several signs. And then God did something super gracious for Gideon, which leads to the second kind of lesson that we can learn from his story that I think is super applicable to us. And here's the, the second lesson. Small victories at home prepare us for great victories in public. And so God knew that at this point, Gideon was not quite ready to go fight 132,000 people. So what God did is he gave him a small assignment to do that God would use to prepare Gideon and prepare other people to follow Gideon. And so look what God does. It says this in verse 25, God talks to him about maybe a a first assignment. He says, that same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. So his dad worshiped idols. His dad was a prime example of what God had told the nation not to do. And so he says to Gideon, hey, buddy, I want you to go and I want you to tear down those idols that your dad has built. Look at verse 26. He says, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So he says, Not only do I want you to tear down your dad's altar, but I actually want you to use the wood that you get from tearing it down and I want you to build a proper altar to me. I want you to take your dad's bull and I want you to kill that bull and I want you to offer that bull to me as an act of worship. And Gideon, he obeyed. It says this in verse 27. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So Gideon, he's still shaky. He's still like, I'm not quite sure, but I'll I'll take a step, God. I'll I'll obey you. But he's like, I ain't going to do it at night. I'm not going to do it when people can see me. I'm going to do it at night. I'm going to hide. And he got he got 10 people together. He went and did exactly what God told him. He tore down the, the false the idols, and he built an altar to God. He sacrificed his dad's bull, and, and he offered that to, to the real God, and he, he obeyed. And shocker, the people weren't real happy with Gideon. When they woke up, he became a wanted man. The, the men of the city, when they realized who had done this, they said, hey, man, we, we want to kill Gideon. And so Gideon's dad, Joash, he kind of steps up and he, he says this, he says, you know what, this, this idol to Baal, if Baal's really a god, I think Baal's a big enough boy that he can take care of Gideon if he wants Gideon dead. And so his dad, even though I'm sure he was pretty ticked about the whole thing, he didn't want to see his son killed, he, he basically stepped in and, and got the guys that wanted to kill Gideon and kind of pointed them in a different direction and said, hey, if this, if this idol is a real god thing, then why don't we let Baal take care of this problem? And so they left Gideon alone. And, and, and what, what was cool is, and this is such an important thing to remember, that it's evidence of God's grace that He tasked us with small assignments before He tasked us with facing down an army. So think about, think about Gideon. God didn't have to do it, He didn't have to do it in this order. But but what God did is he said, hey, before you go face an army, before you go do the, the big thing, I, I'm going to put some smaller things in your path. And I, I want you to do that. And, and it's actually my grace that is putting these things in your path so that this is going to give you confidence. This is gonna, you're going to get to see me kind of come through for you when you believe and obey me. You're going to watch how faithful I am. And, and that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. Gideon's obedience, and honestly, his scared obedience. He didn't do it boldly. He was afraid. But his obedience inspired other people to join with him as he prepared now to go do the bigger thing, and that's fight the Midianites. Look with me at verse 34. It says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizarites, to follow him. He sent messengers through Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. What happened was after Gideon had done this, this smaller assignment, and he watched God be faithful, he gained confidence, other people watched him do this and be brave, And so then he puts out a call. And before you know it, 32,000 people join him because they saw him do something that they were all afraid to do, but probably knew needed to happen. He inspired them. And, And he didn't know that. He was doing it scared. He was just doing what God told him to do. But here's one thing, and you already know this, but here's one thing we see in his story. People, they want to be brave, but most don't want to be brave first. And that's what we see here. There were probably other people in the nation that knew man, these these idols are wrong. We've got to tear these things down. This isn't what God wanted. Somebody needs to step up and fight the Midianites. There's no hope unless somebody's brave. But I don't want to be first. I don't want to go first. I don't want to step out. But when people saw Gideon be brave and step out and believe God, it inspired thousands of others to step up and be brave as well. And it's just cool to watch how God does that. See this, in his story we see that quiet faithfulness to God's call literally had the potential to inspire the whole movement. Again, he's, he's, he's quietly at night doing like, hey, got a couple guys watching. He doesn't want anybody to stop him. He's afraid. He's doing what God told him to. He's trying to obey. He's obeying scared. He never knew that, man, what he's doing right now is actually what God's going to use to inspire so many others to join. For a lot of us, if you kind of relate with Gideon, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, maybe you've had times like this where God's called you to do some things that maybe nobody knew about. They weren't public. They weren't big, at least in your mind, whatever big means. They weren't a big deal. And and you might even have been tempted to like, "Eh, that's just not that big of a deal. I don't think anybody really cares about that. Or what is it going to matter if I don't do that? But God in, in His sovereignty is putting things into our lives and He's asking us to do things. And, and in our minds, sometimes those small things are actually, when we obey them, they're the catalyst to doing much bigger things. And I feel like so many people miss out because they, they downplay the small things. They downplay the, the things that happen at the beginning and they're not faithful in the small things. And so they wonder why they're never involved in anything that's bigger, that's more impactful. It's because they never were willing to do the quiet, faithful, daily, boring things that God called them to do. Just this past week, I was talking to we had Austin and Jillian and Julia, you know, all over, and we were all having dinner together, and one of our conversations, we were just talking about. How how And I told, my, told them all, I said, man, you guys are always going to have a job because there's just so few people that are willing to show up on time and do the small things. If you just do the little things, if you show up on time, if you're just faithful in the small things, man, you're going to do great because there's so many people that aren't willing to do that. And that's in every area of life. So many people, they they want the headline. They want the big Instagram post. But they're not willing to go next door and love their neighbor well. And God's saying, hey, would you just do the small thing? Would you take the small step? Would you go tear down that one altar? And then one day I may use you to take out the army. But I want to see if you'll be obedient in the small thing which leads us to the final lesson, kind of in Gideon's story that I think is super applicable to us. So now he's 32,000 strong. His kind of afraidness and fearfulness is probably not there as much. I mean, now he's seen God do some stuff. He's got a bunch of people with him. He he's still not got 132,000. It's still going to be like a four or five to one kind of ratio, but hey, it's better than 132,000 to one. So he's probably feeling better. And and it's where we see this last lesson kind of play out as as Gideon's story continues, that the lesson is this, my success is meant for God's glory. See, God comes to Gideon, and I bet this was a fun conversation. and, and, And he he sees that Gideon has 32,000 people. And so Gideon's, you know, like I said, probably feeling okay about that. But here's what God says to Gideon with his 32,000 people. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. So God says to Gideon, hey, buddy, 32,000, that's just too many. And I'm sure Gideon's like, do y'all do math in heaven the same way we do math here on earth? Because 32,000 versus 132,000, that doesn't seem like we have too many, God. And God's like, if, if you guys go down there and you whoop them with 32,000, you know what you're going to do? You're going to take all the credit you're going to say, oh, we did it. It was all about us. We were strong. We were smart. We had the greatest strategy. You're going to take all the glory and credit. And so you know what? We've got to thin out the ranks a little bit so that you guys know whose power it is that's going to do this. And so he says, let me let me give you two ways, Gideon, that you're going to just thin out the ranks a little bit. First thing, I want you to get all the guys together. And I just want you to ask them one question. and then And then and here's the question. I just want you to ask him, hey, if you're scared, are you scared? If you are, you can go home. And so he gets the 32,000 together and he, he probably said it in a nicer way or bigger way than that. But basically it was like, hey, if you're scared, you can go home and Netflix binge. Go home, get something to drink. You just take it easy. We'll do the hard work. And so he does. Hey, if you're scared, go home. And probably to Gideon's dismay, 22,000 of the 32,000 said, peace, I'm out, and went. And so at this point, Gideon's like, okay, let me do the math, 10,132, 1 to 13.2, this is going to be tough, but uh, maybe we got some good guys on the team, I think we can maybe do this. We obviously have God on the team, so that kind of trumps, so we should be all right. God's like, nah, you just have still too many. Too many people, so I'm going to have to thin you out a little bit more. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? And this is random. I want you all to go down to the brook, and I want you to get water. Just let the guys, or the 10,000 that are with you, let them go ahead and get a drink. And based on the way they get the water is how I'm going to determine which ones are going to fight. And so they all go down, and they have, you know, get down, and just get in water, not trying to do like a spiritual test, God, just trying to get a drink. They go down they get water. And at the end of this test, 300 make the cut. 300 versus 132,000 make the cut. See, but at least they had the best equipment available. You want to know what equipment they used? Here's what the 300 people had to fight the 132,000. They had a pitcher like what you would use to drink out of. They had a trumpet and they had a torch. Like that was the elite equipment that this 300 versus 132,000 people had. And yet God uses these 300 people with these random pieces of equipment to do the miraculous. Look, Look at the story picks up in verse 19 of chapter 7. It says this. Gideon kind of, he split up the men and he took a hundred of the men. It says, Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. They shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. So they split them up into three groups. I mean, isn't this super inspiring? You're like, wow, I want to go watch that. I bet it was super bloody. That was probably a crazy fight. At, at, at this point, he says, hey, uh, all 300, we're going to break up into three groups. I want you to take your picture." I want you to drop it. I want you to hold up your light and have your trumpet in your hand, and I want you to yell. That's our strategy, to win this thing. And that's exactly what they did. They, they blew their trumpets. They broke their pitchers. The, the lights you know, were out there, and they shouted. And all of a sudden, God miraculously used these 300 people and what they were doing to totally confuse the Midianites. And so this is the middle of the night, and the Midianites they're confused and they're flustered, and they begin running around the camp, and they start killing each other. <laughs> what is going on here? They, 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 I mean, they're so out of it because of the what's the lights and the I guess the sound of a, a pitcher that breaks that it flustered them so much that they didn't know what was going on. They thought they were being attacked, and they start killing each other. And it's in this moment, as, as these guys are just kind of watching all this happen, that now Gideon puts out a call to the 32,000 again. And he calls out for people to volunteer. And many of those original 32,000 join back in. And over the next few hours, the Midianites were destroyed. And the end of the story comes, and they're, they're ready to make Gideon king. And as you you think about, man, let's let's go all the way back to the beginning of the story just a few chapters earlier. Man, Gideon's the guy in the wine press afraid to even look up because he's afraid that the Midianites are going to find him. And now just a few chapters in, this hasn't been long. He's, He's literally destroyed this enemy that's been terrorizing his country for seven years, and the people are ready to make him king. See, No matter, and I know some of you are watching online and and some of you are here this morning, and different people, different kind of places in their faith. But no matter where you find yourself in your faith, all of us desire the end of Gideon's story. Like like deep down, who doesn't want to be the hero? Who doesn't want to be the hero of the story? Who doesn't want to be the, the person at the end that they're so excited about, they're ready to make him king? Who doesn't want that? But yet, if we're honest, our life looks a lot more like the beginning of Gideon's story sometimes, doesn't it? It may be more than we would want to admit. We find ourselves nervous, timid. We find ourselves bored, distracted. And we find ourselves... Man, afraid of things that some things we're afraid of. They're not even things. They're possibilities. We find ourselves, before we get too upset at Gideon, we find ourselves kind of hiding out in our wine press, afraid to take a step for God. God. And we can maybe relate a lot to the, the Gideon at the beginning of the story. Ho- I mean, hopefully at some point in our life, we can relate with the end. And man, we were stepping out for God, obeying him. But, but if we're honest, there's times in our life that we relate a lot with the beginning of Gideon's story. Maybe we've been burnt by some people in the past. And so this idea, I mean, we have been terrorized maybe like for seven years. Gideon, they've, they've just been terrorized by these Midianites. So he's afraid to even put his head out of the wine press. And maybe for you, it's not the Midianites, but there's been things that have happened in your life and, and, and you've come to a spot where you're kind of in the wine press. You're just afraid to even put your head out. And we relate a lot with the beginning of Gideon's story, which leads us to a question. And it's a question that Gideon had to grapple with in the wine press, And he had to grapple with really throughout the whole story. And it's the same question that you and I should grapple with no matter where we find ourselves in Gideon's story. Here's the question: What has God called you to? Pretty simple question. What has He called you to? Like, is our best life a full bank account, a few kind of cool vacations, some some fun posts for social media that get a bunch of likes? Maybe gathering more toys than my neighbor by the end of my life. Is, is that, that what it's all about? Is that what we're called to? Is that as good as it gets? Or what if what Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.10 was really true? You say, Chris, what did Paul write in Ephesians 2.10? I'm glad you asked. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you know what this verse means? If if you believe this verse, you know what this verse means? It means if you're a follower of Jesus, that in advance, before the world began, before you and I even existed, God prepared specific good works for you to do. Not general good works for all of us, but good works that had your name on it. Good works that had my name on it. God, in advance, before you ever had your best day or your worst day, before any of that happened, before you were even born, that in advance God prepared for you and for me specific good works that we are to do. For Gideon... God had prepared a very specific good work for him. Now, several thousand years later, God has prepared for each of us a very specific path with very specific good works that he wants us to do. And if if you and I are willing to believe that what Paul said was true, because you might be like, eh, I don't buy that. But if you buy this, And I do. I buy this. I really believe this. I really believe that what Paul said, he was inspired by God to say. And so, man, I'm leaning into this verse. And so if you're like me and you're leaning into this verse, let me close out by giving you a couple questions to think about if this is true for you, if you're leaning into this. And here's here's a few questions that I think will help us. The first one is this. Am I more focused on my perceived inadequacies or God's call? So if God's called you to specific good works, are you spending more time looking at all your inadequacies, the reasons that you can't do this, the reason God called the wrong person? Are you focused? And, and let's be honest, we all do that sometimes. Gideon did. I mean, for the Moses did. They, they all did. They all at first were like, "I don't. I think you got the wrong guy, God. I think you got the wrong gal." But, but. For you, are you more focused on your perceived inadequacies than what God has called you to do? Because that's going to affect your life if you are. Second question: Am I being faithful with what God has put in front of me today? So again, sometimes we're like, "Well, when it when it gets big, when when the thing gets moving, when 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 it's you know more popular to do it, you know all these things, then I'll jump in." And God's saying, well, what if I told, what's right in front of you right now? What if you just were faithful with what I gave you to do right now that nobody's ever going to know about? Just be faithful with that. Just do what I've called you to do with that. So you got to ask yourself, am I, instead of being worried about this big thing out here, am I just being obedient to this small thing right here? Am I being faithful to what God has given me to do today? And then the last thing, kind of a last question. If you truly believe what Paul said is true, am I trying to manage God or am I committed to obey him? And and here's what I mean by that. Gideon tried to manage God a little bit. God, you don't get the 32,132, I don't, no, 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 no. A little argument with God, which we all would have done too. Instead of managing God, and God, it doesn't make sense to me. And God, the odds don't seem as good as I want them to be. And God, this looks a little harder than I wanted it to be. The path isn't as straight as I wanted it to be. What if we just quit trying to manage God and just obeyed him? And I think that's where a lot of us find ourselves. In fact, I heard a quote this, this week, and it wasn't by a Christian, but, but I thought it was a great quote. And, and the quote is this. Most of us don't need more information. We need more courage. And I thought, drop the mic on me. Yeah, that's me. I I, I don't need more information. I just need to be obedient and courageous and do what God's already shown me to do. And so as you think about Gideon, and you think about how does this guy's life that meant thousands of years ago, wine press, Midianites, 132,000, pitcher, light, all this stuff what does it mean to me? How does it help me? How how does it affect me? Well, as much as Gideon called, or as much as God called Gideon to take on the Midianites, he has called you to specific good works. He didn't call you to confuse you. He's not trying to make it hard on you. He's called you to good works, and he's just saying, obey, believe. And instead of us, and I'm the worst at it, instead of us looking at, well, God, I I don't have what they have, or I don't have what they have, or man, uh, what if this happens? God, what if this happens? Like, he hasn't thought of that. What if I just said, God, you put this right in front of me. What if I just stepped into that and believed you? And and that's an individual thing, and that's also for our whole church. If you call City Walk Home, man, over these next few years, Man, we're taking steps to plant other churches and, and do things that are not easy and that are harder. In fact, I said this to our team recently. I said, what we're doing is hard. Most people that are, most churches that are four and a half years old aren't putting themselves out to plant another church and even praying about a third church, but we just want to reach neighborhoods all throughout California. And so that means that, man, we got to, if this is what God's called us to do, then we're going to do it, and we're going to trust him. And that's a church application, but it's also very individual for all of us as well. And so as we close, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're watching online, just kind of in the quietness of where you're at, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching this morning, and and you don't have a relationship with God you maybe you're investigating faith you're not quite sure what you believe well if that's you then I I would love to just in the quietness of this moment no matter where you are to just invite you to start a relationship with Jesus you say Chris how would I do that well it's 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 pretty simple are you willing to admit to God that you don't have it all together You willing to admit to God that you've disobeyed Him, that you've gone your own way at times? You willing to admit that? You willing to believe that when Jesus Christ came to earth and He died on the cross and rose from the grave, that He did that for you? He did that for your sin, for my sin. He paid the price. And then are you willing to just invite, say, God, would you just come into my life? I want a relationship with you. You're willing to just invite God in. Not only will he give you a home with him when you die, but he will transform you from the inside out today. And so if you're here this morning and and that's a decision you want to make or if you're watching online and you want to make that decision, just cry out to God right now wherever you're at in the quietness of your heart. God, I admit to you, I've sinned, I've disobeyed you. God, I believe that Jesus died for me, that he rose from the grave. God, please come into me. I want a relationship with you. Just tell him. If you're here and you're Somebody that already has a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you can relate with Gideon. Maybe you found yourself timid, nervous. Maybe you've been burnt in the past, and so you just stepping out to trust God's tough. And maybe for you this morning, this is just an opportunity for you to just tell God, God, I, I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I repent for not believing you. And God, I I just need your help. God, I want to believe. I want to trust. I want to follow your path. I'm just asking for your help. And maybe for you, there is something right in front of you. And you, you, you haven't been doing the small things right in front of you. And it's time to just say, you know what? God, I'm just going to be faithful with what's in front of me. No one may ever know my name. No one may ever know what I do. But God, it doesn't matter because I'm doing it for an audience of one. And so I'm going to be faithful whether you're a student, whether you're a mom and dad, a grandma, grandpa, single. What has God called you to do this Don't overcomplicate it. Just step in. If you're here this morning and you've made any decision, if you started a relationship with God or you want prayer, you can, right in front of you, there's a decision card, there's a prayer card. We'd love to to know about your decision. We'd love to pray with you. You can fill that out. Put it in the the offering basket on your way out. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and you can fill out a card there and we will get back with you this week. God, thank you for your patience, God. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for calling us into your your work and involving us in what you're doing in your kingdom on this planet. And God, I pray that we would believe you and boldly obey you in Jesus' name. Amen.